HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Ludwig Coffee, delivering exceptional specialty coffee to New Yorkers since 2018. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, a man on a never-ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series, where I engage in interesting conversations with some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. Welcome to our first trial edition of Pizza Talk, presented by Pizza Quest, and I'm here with our our pizza yodis, our, our, our dominant, uh, well, I'll just call them our dough masters, John Arena and Brian Spangler. Uh, and we're going to do a little recreation of a workshop that, and panel that we've done at Pizza Expo called Tinkering With Your Dough. And so we're going to spend the next few minutes just talking about uh, the things that we've learned about how to master your dough and take it to another level. And uh, what I really want to do is let John and Brian, who both have uh, world-famous pizzerias, uh, talk about what they've done, maybe tell us a little bit about their journey, and uh, and then we'll take some questions and we'll see where we go with it. So, uh, John, why don't you give us a start? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and Pizzeria Met- uh, Metro, or Metro, what do you call it? Metro Pizza. Right? Okay. Hey, uh, I'm the co-founder of Metro Pizza in Las Vegas. We have five pizzerias plus a licensed unit in the airport. I've been making pizzas. I started working my family pizzeria in 1965 when I was 11 years old. I hated it. I swore I was never going to be in the pizza business. And then the day that I turned 13, September 6, 1967, my, uh, my uncle had me make a pizza. And the first pizza that I made got put in a box and sold. And it changed everything for me. Because I, I realized that something that I made with my hands, somebody was willing to pay money for and I turned to my uncle and I was like, wow, this is great. Somebody paid money for something that, that I, for a pizza that I made myself. And he said, yeah, but you have, to, you have to be respectful of that because something that you made with your hands is now going to become part of somebody's body. And it was like a light switch went off and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be born into a pizza family. I'm in my 53rd year making pizzas and, uh, People ask me all the time, wow, doesn't it get old? You've been doing the same thing all your whole life. It never gets old. 
It's always changing. It's always evolving. I was very lucky. My dad was, was not one of those old school mentors that said, don't change anything. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. My dad always said, if it ain't broke, break it and then, tr and then make it better. <laughs> so I got lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. But so like when you started as like when you're like a 13 year old kid and you're making pizzas, you were obviously just doing what you were told to do. You threw, you followed a recipe or you did, did this or that. But when is, was it that you became aware that there's something more going on here? There's kind of a science behind it and an art and a craft where you began to kind of explore how you could break it and make it better. I think, you know, it was always, it was always my dad's at, my dad was at conflict with his, with his brothers because they were always like, you know, they were typical, they were typical New York style pizza makers. They had a bucket with a line drawn on it by my uncle Tony in 1958. And that was where the water went up to. And they had, you know, you asked them how much salt went in the dough, they held up their hand like this. And um, yeah. my dad was exactly the opposite. My dad was always, how do you have control over this if you don't measure it? You know, and at that time, naturally, we still were, we were measuring by volume, but he was trying to be as precise as you could be for, for that era. And yeah. um, I, think, I think by 1980, when we opened our first store, in La when we moved to Las Vegas and opened our first store, we realized that we weren't gonna be making every batch of dough and we weren't going to be making every pizza. And if you didn't have standards, if you didn't have precision, you were never going to have consistency. And then yeah. from that consistency, because of my dad's uh, input, he was like, well, consistency can also be a form of stagnation. You know, you have to be consistent in terms of quality, in terms of value, but you also have to be constantly experimenting. There's no way that the day that you, the first batch of dough that you made in your life was the perfect batch of dough and it could never be improved. So, you know, my dad's 92 years old, and he's still saying that to me. You know, he's always hey, striving to make it better. He's, he's still working in the pizzeria, right? Yeah, he's got to earn a paycheck. <laughs> my dad well, that's really rare. You, you had a really was... rare opportunity. Your dad was so far ahead of his time, just in his thinking, and the idea of being flexible and realizing that there's always another, you know, rung of the ladder to climb, I think that's rare. And it's showing now as you guys have, you know, evolved uh, as both a company, as a business, and in, and also the types of pizzas that you serve. So let's so that you've taken this up to Vegas. Let's come back to you in a little bit and talk more about that. But in, let's bring Brian in and hear a little bit about how sort of he came from his background. Because when I first met Brian, he was an artisan bread maker, and he got into pizza sort of coming through a different angle as, from the bread community. So Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Um. Well, yeah. <clears throat> as you said, I've been baking. I started baking in 1987 first job uh, in college and uh, fell in love with, with the, the process and the uh, uh, structure of, it, of bringing uh, bread to life and kind of tripped around the restaurant industry for a long time when I finally moved to Portland, Oregon. I you know, was like either bar brewing or baking or cooking or bartending, you know, it's always been in the industry, but when we moved to Portland, Oregon, we wanted to start our own business and quickly identify there was not a lot of really good artisan bread here. Uh, there was a couple spots, but not, not a ton of it. And definitely no, nobody doing what I wanted to do, which was a little more of like the Eastern European, uh, more whole grain sourdoughs, doing like uh, the Flemish decim, what have you. And uh, we started a bakery called uh, All Mountain Baking Company. And it was uh, really like, I, it was me, uh, I built my own oven, 
uh, lived with Alan Scott for a while and uh, apprenticed. Alan with Scott, the famous uh, oven, wood-fired oven builder, right? Yes. Uh, Alan had uh, started making ovens for people like uh, Alice Waters at Chez Penny in, in uh, Oakland. And then, you know, uh, he, he started taking people in, like Chad Robertson lived with Alan, and uh, uh, Alan built the first oven for, for Chad Robertson from Tartine. Um, and, uh, and now <clears throat> so many people have his heat retention ovens uh, throughout the country. But when I didn't have a whole ton of money to start my business, so I built an Allen Scott oven by myself, and I couldn't afford a mixer and all this other stuff, no refrigeration. So I was out there making 200 loaves of bread a day by hand without a mixer, uh, having to chop wood and, you know, all that stuff. So while we're getting all that rolling on Sundays, which is our one, my one day off, but I still had to be there to fire the oven for the next day and, and keep the sourdough cultures uh, fed. We kept looking for good pizza up here in Portland and we couldn't find any good pizza. <laughs> everything was uh, more of that classic West Coast where it was, uh, everything was topping driven. Uh, it, was, it was all about like how much crap can you stick on top of a piece of shitty dough. And, and uh, I'm like, well, <clears throat> I never made a pizza in my entire life. Honestly, honestly, and I never worked in a pizzeria. So Sundays became kind of our, our experimentation day. And it was also a way for me to have some social interaction because it was, I was just out at the bakery all, all day long by myself. So Kim and I, Kim Nyland's my wife and uh, another uh, partner here at Pizza Shoals. And so we, Sunday just became experimentation day. Come on over, bring a six pack, bottle of wine and we'll be out there just having fun and after a after you know a couple of years of doing we did this like for four years running before we even opened up the pizzeria after a couple of years we got really good at it trying different experiments of uh, ratios and you know sauce on top or sauce on the bottom and, and what have you and always keeping uh, our memories of what we liked as far as classic old school pizza um, for me, like, you know, I always think people ask me what my favorite pizzeria is. I think of places like Patsy's up in East Harlem, you know, something really simple, yeah. but it's transcendent because it's so simple. It's simple yet elusive. And yeah, so uh, these, like your frame of reference for great pizza were at some of these New York uh, and East Coast style places. Yeah, because all, all my family's from the East Coast, as far south as Virginia, as far north as New Hampshire. Um, so places in Philly and New York, I and mean, I, I went to school in New York for a while. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, her and I had this very similar kind of like gold standard that we were reaching for. And uh, it got so good at it that on my day off, we were suddenly making 60 pizzas on my day off. And uh, we decided to just go for it. And that was... Uh, hey, you guys, hey, I'm in the wrong business here. <laughs> it would happen 16 years ago. And we just, yeah, it, it was slow at first, but then it exploded and it's been, it's been amazing. There've been a series of events that uh, brought us a lot of national, international notoriety. You know, your, the article that was including you when you came out, when you were doing your book tour of American Pie, that blew us up locally. And then, you know, things like uh, Anthony Bourdain 
came through 14 years ago and that took us to another level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That took us global. Yeah. Well, that was huge, a huge opportunity and breakthrough for you, which, uh, yeah. Yeah, suddenly. And I know there's a whole lot more to this story, but what I want to do is take a break. We, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to come back in a, in a couple of minutes, and we'll talk some more with John Arena and Brian Spangler, uh, two of our, who I'm calling the, the Yodas of pizza, the pizza Yodis. I want to call this section, the you know, figuring uh, like with your dough with the pizza Yodis. And, uh, and we're going to keep, you know, build on this uh, segment over the next series of of months and episodes that we do and add to it because I, you know, we can't get it all in, in one shot, but over time, I think we're going to cover a wide variety of territory. And when we come back, I want to talk to both of you about some of the things that you've learned uh, as you've evolved your dough and, and, and taking it, uh, as John said, breaking it and fixing it and putting it back together and taking it to another level. And I know uh, Brian, when I first saw your pizza at Shoals, the dough you were making then is different from what you're doing now. So I'd like to hear, some of the things you've learned that you've applied to take it again to another level. We'll be right back with more Pizza Quest right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Ludwig Coffee. With over 100 years of coffee cultivation heritage in the family behind this company, Ludwig Coffee has been delivering exceptional specialty coffee to New Yorkers since 2018. Their network of small co-op and family-owned farms grants Ludwig Coffee the opportunity to select exceptionally unique green coffee, ready to roast in small batches in Brooklyn, New York. Splurging on the main ingredient is important. Shop for Ludwig Coffee at lifcmarketplace.com. Hey, we're back with John Arena and Brian Spangler, our two Yodas of dough i'll call them the the uh the dough yodas or the pizza yodas or the, and i think since the plural of yoda is yodi so we, there, there are two dough yodis and uh we're gonna talk a little bit more about how they've elevated their pizzas over the years we've heard john's story the evolution of a 55-year journey of, in pizza and brian uh not as long but certainly uh a journey that came in from another angle through bread uh you've both gotten to a, a place of excellence, clearly not just something that I say, but something that the critics say, that your fans say. Everybody knows that you guys are, you know, uh, among the elite of pizzerias, and there's got to be a reason for that. There's something you're doing and that you know that makes a difference, and I think that's why people want to be part of our tinkering with your dough, you know, workshops that we do, is they want to hear what it is you've learned that you could share with them so that they can also elevate theirs. And this is not just for professional pizza operators, but for home bakers, because we, as we know, uh, home, home cooks and home bakers all want to be able to do what the pros do. And, uh, and they're loving it and they're turning their kitchens into, you know, little mini, mini restaurants. So uh, why don't we, why don't we uh, jump back to John for a second. And uh, John, if you could talk a little bit about that, that transition uh, that you made from being sort of uh, uh, out of the New York style of pizza into something that is now Metro Pizza, which really celebrates styles from all over the country and maybe bring us up to date on that and, and, and perhaps talk about some of the dough tweaks and things that you've learned that have improved the quality of your, of your pizzas. Hey, well, for, first of all, you know, the first thing is you have to have some sort of an ideal. You know, I think, I think it's, I think the quest starts with a vision. You know, it starts with having some, some idea in your mind of where you would like to be. And that changes over time also as you, as you walk this path, the view changes. 
You know, you see, you get to a certain point that you thought was going to be the end game and you get there and you look at it and you go, wow, there's something beyond this. From this vantage point, I can see something else. And that takes you further and further along. You know, it's like looking up at a mountain. If you're at the bottom of the mountain and you're looking up, you don't see the top of the mountain. You see what you, you, see what you think is the top of the mountain. And then you walk to that point and you go, wow, there's something else here. So for me, that was the, that was the starting point. And a lot of it started with um, understanding that what we do is a craft and not just a, not just a job. It, it's almost, it's an avocation. You know, I think the really great pizza makers feel that they're, they're called to be pizza makers. The great bread bakers are called to be bread bakers. And you have to approach it each day as if it's, as if it's an opportunity to express who you are at that given moment. You know, so we're getting into Yoda territory, I know that, but, um, you know, I think it, but, it, but it, that's you know, what it's about, it, and that is a difference. It's such a difference maker because we, we always say on Pizza Quest that it, we're celebrating artisanship wherever we find it. And when you talk about craft, and you're really talking about that artisan spirit, and it seems to be a difference maker for you and others as, as how to stay in the game this long for it to be fresh and exciting every time you, you go back into the shop. You know, I think to, to make it fresh and exciting, every time you touch a dough ball, and I'm sure this is true of Brian as well, every time you pick up a dough ball, you're a different person. You know, you're touching that dough from the perspective of a person, of, of who you are right at that given moment. And that's changing all the time because you're the sum total of all your experiences. So the next time I, I pick up a dough ball, I'm, I'm the person that I am at that given moment. Ten minutes later, I'm somebody else. You know, the worst thing that somebody can say to me is, wow, your pizza hasn't changed in 1980. I've been coming here for 20 years, and it's unchanged. It's remarkable. And it's like, really? I haven't gotten any better? I haven't learned anything in 40 years? You know, I, if that's the case, you failed. You know, I think there's always an opportunity to make it better. There's, you know, there's always an opportunity to learn something new just from handling the dough, you know, just how your hands work, where you're at at that given moment in your life, what what you've experienced up until that moment that you picked that take took that dough out of the tray if you're open to that it never gets old it never gets tired and you're always looking to improve it and i mean you know i think this is really the golden age of pizza yeah you know, there were no there were no brian spanglers 50 years ago there were guys doing direct mix method throwing a bunch of stuff in a bowl pushing the button and then sitting down and playing poker for a few minutes before the dough you know before and then deciding to come back to their to their batch and cut it and roll it. You know, I think what's really happened that's a big change for us now is in the past, pizza makers were dealing with the conditions that existed and not really controlling the, the conditions. You use the oven that was available to you. you use the mixer that was available. You use the flour that was available in your region. And I think that now there's, you know, there's endless uh, conscious choices that can be made. You can have a vision of what you want your ideal pizza to be you know, let's face it, 60 years ago, with the exception of coal-fired versus gas-fired, most of the pizzas in New York were pretty much the same. Most of the Chicago pizza was pretty much the same. There were not all these choices. You know, if it was artisanship, it was accidental artisanship. Yeah. You know, now it's conscious choices throughout every decision, you know, for equipment, technique, ingredients, the three major components of making a great pizza are all conscious choices that are not su subject to regionality. When did you uh, kind of make that flip from the idea of like measuring to the line in the bucket to using scales and getting precision and ratios and bringing a little bit of the 
docience into your craft? I think that started by the time we had our second location. We were forced to be more precise. You know, Which was about when? 1985. Oh, so that's still quite a while back. Yeah. yeah. That was still, you were still ahead of the curve in that regard because uh, prior to that, you know, uh, most people, not even bread bakers, thought much about ratios and, and, uh, and weights. They all talked about scoops and pounds and, and, uh, and buckets. Yeah, we realized that that wasn't working because they were filling the bucket up to a line and their version of up to the line and my version of up to the line were completely different, you know. And sure. when we had that second location, you know, certainly you're making adjustments on the fly when you're the only guy making the dough. When you go to location number two, things change. You know, so that was really that that was really the beginning. By 1985, 1986, we were starting to accurately measure. We weren't we weren't uh, doing longer fermentation. We were doing like a two day, one one to two day fermentation, and then we started to realize like, wow, you know, if we had leftover dough from on day three, it was better. You know, it was easier to work. It had better texture. It was browning better. What's going on here? So then that became you know. Because of my dad's input, it was like, okay, so if it's better, why is it better? What's going on here? That's the big question. And, and you kind of stumbled into this whole notion of pre, using pre-fermented dough to be a dough improver uh, without even knowing really the science behind it. But intuitively, it, it just seemed right. Right. I mean, if you're there every day and you're watching every pizza that comes out of the oven, which is important, you know, to actually be there on the line handling the dough. I'm always amazed when I when I see when I hear about pizza makers that say, "Oh, I've been doing this ten years. I don't make pizzas anymore. That got old." It's like I can't <laughs> yeah. wait to get into the pizzeria and make pizzas every day. Well, it sounds like because for, for you, it's still a discovery process. You're still you're still looking for how to make it better and better. Well, what about let's 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 throw it to Brian for a second and see uh, you know kind of how you came into that because you as an artisan baker and part of the early days of the Bread Bakers Guild of America where bread science really started to come into the American vocabulary. You, you started in your pizza world already understanding about ratios and, and, and weights. Uh, so how, have you, how did you manage to kind of evolve your dough? Well, any, anybody who, is, who cares, you know, people always, always, always ask me, like, what's so special about your pizzeria or your pizza? And I, I always tell them it's me because <laughs> I care. And that's it. And the thing, and the floor is constantly moving. Just because I use one particular flour doesn't mean it's going to react, you know, from lot to lot. It's not all the same grain coming from the same farm. There's a different person running the roller mill. So it could be starch damage that season, depending on where that grain's coming from. There's even like the cheese with grande cheese, which we use. Um, the, high, the the low moisture level, the, that moisture level is constantly changing. And it's, yeah, it's like dancing. It's you, uh, you know, when we talk about this topic of tweaking your dough, it, well, I'm always tweaking because everything is constantly changing, but it's also being able to identify. And um, some of my, some of my employees think I'm crazy. I'm always I'm like, what's, what's it telling you? Is it talking to you? Yeah. Like, what? I'm like, it's telling you what it wants and what it doesn't want. And you need to like be more aware, you know, there, you know, why is it tight today? And I'm like, I don't know. 
could have been that you overmixed. It could have been, you know, that the protease enzymes uh, activity on this new lot of flour is a little lower. Um, could be that we're having low barometric pressure today versus, you know, being uh, dry and, and cold the previous day. So it's, it's, it's identifying from experience and, but also caring mm -hmm. to constantly move with yeah. all the, 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 the changes that are, that are happening on a daily and basis. That's, you hit on something that uh, Chris Bianco talks about a lot too. When I interviewed him for American Pie years ago, that was the, probably the most important line in the whole book was when I asked him what it was about his pizzas that made them different or better than everybody else's and what could he teach people you know, on how to do it better. And he said, I, I can teach them tricks and tips and all. He said, but I can't teach them to care as much as I care. Right. And he said, if I found somebody who cared as much as I care, I could make them a great pizza maker. And, you know, and, that, and you're saying the same thing. You came into it with this sort of, sort of notion of, and an intuition of how to care about this. And John is saying the same thing. I mean, these are the common principles more than just the science and, and the doing it every day is, is this degree of, of caring. And I think that that's the real artisan spirit that we've been you know, trying to kind of reach for and share with all the people who are watching us today. Uh, so... Yeah, it's yeah. not for caring, it's also observing. If you, but if you care, you're obviously always yeah. observing. Well, we could even change the name of this workshop from tinkering with your dough to listening to your dough. Listening. Because what you just said was that you gotta, the dough is telling you what it needs and you just gotta know how to hear it. Right, and that's the reason why over the years I've um, been experimenting and you know, with John as well, different flowers. Um, sometimes like, I'm always, you know, you're always, always trying to like improve what it is you're doing, the final product. I call it the brass ring. Like that's, you know, we're always reaching up for this one ideal that we created in our mind of what, you know, our, we want our pizza to be. And it's an expression of us. But in the meanwhile, it's <clears throat> always saying like, well, it, it can always be better. And you can always learn and you can always improve. Um, and it's just, it's just rolling through uh, the punches and identifying and listening and, uh, yeah, just observing. The old classic, remember uh, in the baking world, there would be, you'd see us all these students that'd be like, how do you know when it's ready? And it's like, well, from experience and from failure. The failure is the best teacher. But then there's also that point where you have what we call the baker's touch, right? Mm -hmm. When you touch it, you know exactly, you know, it's like, yeah, not ready. How do you know? I'm like, <laughs> I've been doing this a while. <laughs> you know? Well, I think John, John has spoken to this uh, uh, really beautifully and poetically. Uh, John, can you, can you hold your hands up for us for a second and tell, tell us a little bit about these hands? Okay, everything, yeah. everything that we do comes from our hearts, through our arms, into our hands, and into the food. And that's where the magic is. And that's why the idea of secrecy is so ludicrous. Mm -hmm. So ridiculous. It's because, you know, as Brian said, you can't teach people to care, mm -hmm. you know, if, and if they, if they do care, then welcome to the club. Join us. Let's hold hands and do this together. Right. If they don't care, it's not going to matter what formula you give them, what ratios you give them, what magic mixer you give them. None of that's going to, none of that's going to make a difference. You know, yeah. and I, people are always asking me, well, how come you give away formulas? You know, you, you tell people what you're doing. You don't, you're not, you're not hiding that. You're not secretive like the old school guys. It's like because it was because it doesn't matter if I tell you what I'm doing. If you don't care, you're not going to do it anyway. 
And if you do care, you're going to find out on your own. Right. Yeah. So why not have this exchange of, exchange of ideas and exchange of information that, that pushes us further along? You know, we've talked about this before that, you know, if our, if our quest is a relay race, when somebody hands you the torch, you don't run in place. You run forward and you hand it to somebody else. Right. And that's how progress is made. And I think that's been one of the beautiful things we're seeing in the pizza community. And it's coming out more and more even now during this crisis period. Uh, the, the way people are coming together, sharing. I think we, we're in a new era where it's not about everybody holding their own turf, but it's a, really about the sense of community. And so we're going to take a little break here. But when we come back, I want to continue and explore this with you guys one more for one more segment uh, and talk a little bit uh, about two things. One, you know, kind of further along about sort of this community aspect of where things are going. And also, if you could tell us a little bit about how you're each navigating through this current uh, coronavirus period and how you're you're keeping your business going uh, because this is something that uh, everybody's struggling with right now and we'd love to hear what you guys have figured out and how to how to stay viable and and uh, and keep the cash flow happening as well so we'll be back in just a minute with our pizza yodis john arena brian spangler and i'm peter reinhardt we'll be back in just a minute This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers, wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From northern hilltop hazelnut farmers in Piemonte to southern sea salt millers off the coast of Sicily, Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners, Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code HRN. Learn more at Gustiamo.com. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O.com. Hey, I'm Peter Reinhardt. Welcome back to Pizza Talk on Pizza Quest. And we're here with the Pizza Yodis, John Arena and Brian Spangler. And we've been talking about all sorts of things. This is the beginning of a what we hope will be a long-running series uh, on, you know, sort of an outgrowth of the workshop that we've done at Pizza Expo called Tinkering with Your Dough. But we want to go beyond just tinkering with your dough. We want to talk about the differences between, you know, good and great, between uh, the journey, between craft and artisanship and just, uh, you know, phoning it in every day. Uh, there's a lot to cover, and we can't do it in we one might. session. So we want to have them keep coming back, and we'll keep exploring this. And when we broke, um, right before we broke, uh, we were talking a little bit about this notion of caring, of, of the, 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 the sense that every day is an adventure and the dough is changing, we're changing constantly. How do you stay on top of caring? But even more importantly, John, you've got at least four or five locations of uh, Metro Pizza in Las Vegas. Brian, you're expanding your operation in, from one location, but it's now gone to a seven-day-a-week uh, uh, situation in the, during this er COVID era. Uh, so I want to talk with both of you a little bit about how you transmit this sense of personal caring and craft that you carry to the people who are working for you 
and what it is you look for in employees and the people you hire to be able to carry on at the same level of, uh, of, of quality that you bring to the game. So, John, why don't you start, start us off? Because you've got a lot of locations, which means you've got a lot of staff, a lot of people to train. How do you do it? Well, first of all, there's, there's always going to be a difference between a pizzaiolo and a pizza mechanic or a pizza assembler. And you have to recognize that. And when you're, when you're operating multiple locations, you have, to, you have to become comfortable with the idea that some people are just not going to be as into it as you are. So the challenge is how do you, you know, you have to, you have to live your culture. You know, you have, to, you have to lead by example. You lead from the front. You know, pizza makers, pizzeria, I'm, I'm a fan of pizza, pizzeria owners who are pizza makers. Not, you know, and I like to see people, I like to see pizza makers on the line, living, living that life and, you know, having flour in their shoes. You know, if you go home and throw your, if you go home and throw your, throw your work clothes into the, into the washing machine, you should end up with a batch of dough. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you have to be that committed, you know, I mean, right. I'm, you know, and, and then you look for people that are, that are like-minded. You have to look for people that first of all have pride and per people that have, um, have commitment and also have to look for people that are a little bit obsessive. Think of any, any great pizza maker that you know, anybody, any great bread baker that you know. We're all kind of crazy. <laughs> so, you know, so you look for like-minded people and you got to understand that you're not going to hit a home run every time. You're not going to, yeah. you know, you're not going to have a, uh, if you've got, in our case, 180 employees, you're not going to have 180 Chris Deckers. Chris if Decker, if you could stop for a second and tell everybody about your partner, Chris, uh, Chris Decker, who's, uh, who's really becoming uh, even more and more well-known in the pizza world as his, his star is on the rise, and he's, what part of, he's one of the partners in Metro Pizza, right? Right, and Chris has been with me since he was in college. He, started, he was a pizza maker in New York, up, upstate New York, came to Las Vegas to go to college, started working for us his first day as a busboy, and then he, men he made the mistake of mentioning to me that he knew how to make pizzas. <laughs> and we pulled him up on the line and he had that, you know, he had that pizza gene, that, that desire to express himself through the food, you know? So for, for you know, Pete, Chris is the kind of guy that makes any coach look like a, look like a rock star because of the, because of the talent and the commitment. But the really great coaches are able to bring that out in people where it's not so obvious. So, you, you know, you, you kind of, you know, just like you build a sense of when you touch the dough, whether or not it's right. I think you build that same sense when you touch people, you know, whether or not they're, they're right, they're ready. But, you know, you also have to, you have to be a part of that, that journey and you have to be a, a nurturing mentor, you know, and, you, and, you know, everybody has different buttons that need to be pushed. You know, we've got other people that have been with us as long as Chris, who maybe are not, not in, going in the same direction. You know, or they're going, in this, they're going to the same place, but they're getting there in a different way. So you have to be sensitive to that. So of your 180 or so employees, you know, how many of them would you say uh, are, you know, at that level that, that you've, you've brought them to that level of uh, being able to reliably produce the highest quality of pizzas and, and love what they're doing uh, and possibly have that long-term uh, sort of sense of drive? In terms of pizza makers, out of yeah. uh, out of fifty, maybe I have eight. Mm. You know, but they're they're the lead people. 
You know, they're the people so that are. So for some, it's, it's just a job and for some, it's a life. Right. But you can't, our responsibility as leaders is not to just write those other people off. You know, we can't just say, oh, they, ju they just don't care and it's their fault and I'm not responsible for that. As a leader, you have to, yeah. as a leader, whether you're a political leader or you're a, or you're a leader of a business or a leader of a pizza, pizza bank, you have to be able to say, I'm responsible for the outcome. It's up to us. It's up to me. It's up to Brian to say, how do I bring the most out of this person? How do I lead people to a place that they're going to love, but they don't even know that it exists yet? Well, you know, we've been uh, jokingly sort of referring to, our, to you guys as our pizza yodis, uh, and really as a Yoda of pizza. Both of you are, have a kind of, uh, you know, been around long enough to have emerged at that place where people look up to you. It sounds like part of what you're saying is, is part of your job now is to create the next generation of pizza Yodas, uh, so to speak, by modeling it for them. Sure. And, you know, in my case with Chris, I see people coming to Chris now all the time and they're like, I don't want to talk to that old guy. I want to talk to Chris. He's, you know, he's, he's a superstar. Yeah. And that's the, that's the best feeling, you know, to, to see that. <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to, to see that next generation, not, not only to see Chris's generation, but to see the guys that are now looking up to Chris in that way, where they used yeah. to at one time would maybe approach me and now they're approaching him instead. That's the best. Yeah. Because that, you know, that's, that's my immortality. You know, that's the closest And I think you see something like that at some of the famous venerable pizzerias like, uh, like um, uh, you know, in, in New Haven, Connecticut, where you've got, you know, pizzerias that have been around for since the 1920s and 30s, where now they're three, four generations into it. And again, something's been passed on because they're managing to, to stay at that same level. Uh, and and if, if you guys, if Metro is going to be around 100 years from now, it's, you're not going to be here, but you're going to have, in a sense, two or three generations influenced by the work that you guys do today. Uh, Brian's a little bit, a couple you know, years uh, behind you in terms of when he started, but you're going to be dealing with and have been dealing with some of the same issues of bringing on protégés and the next generation. How are you doing it, Brian? Leading, you know, as, as John said, you have to lead by example. And... <clears throat> Now everybody has the same skill sets or talents. We're all different, right? And like John said, I have a certain number of people that it's, it's more innate. It's in their nature, what we're doing here. But more importantly, it's, it's also just instilling, um, what's the best word to, you know, like people should be proud of what they're doing. You know, we have something really great going on here. There are people that are just assemblers that don't really have that baker's touch. And But by leading by example and showing how much we care, and we have, luckily we have a window right next, or a door right next to our pizza oven. And on a busy night, people would come by and just go, best pizza I ever had, or, you know, it's like, you know, you have the customers giving feedback and that's one of the best things about, you know, the restaurant industry is getting that instant feedback and seeing how it's, it's yeah. creating memories in people's lives. Um, but it's, it's also, as my father used to tell me, he's like, good habits breed good results, bad habits breed bad results. So by leading by example and giving them a direction and daily 
uh, structure, like the recording of what's the what's the flower temperature, what's the air temperature, what's the pulleys temperature, you know, just getting them into these habits, whether they have the innate skill set or not, um, gets them involved and in, in, in being able to help identify uh, potential problems. Some are better than others. And, yeah. and then also being proud of what you do because, you know, I have very little turnover. My oldest employee has been with me for 16 years because wow. we sh she knows, and you know, my lead kitchen manager, he's been with me for 10 and uh, my assistant manager in the kitchen, he's been with me for five years. And you know, I, I, I can always depend on them because, <clears throat> you know, I instill the confidence and instill, you know, like we're, we're doing something, we're doing something really cool and, and special. And yeah. hopefully you can identify with that and take pride in, in, in what you do. And when you, when you take well, pride in this Go ahead. I'm saying thank goodness that they've, that they've grasped, that they've, they've gotten it. And I know everybody's on their own learning curve pace. Some people intuitively get it at the beginning. Some people grow into it. And it's great that you have the patience to stay with them and for them to stay with you. And you need it now because we're now, uh, you know, and of course we're just scratching the surface today of, of how deep this conversation can go. But uh, we're now facing, and you're both facing as well as all of our colleagues in the trade, are facing this challenge of staying in business during the uh, the pandemic that is sweeping the nation. And uh, I think each of you have found a way to do it. And I was wondering if you could share with our viewers, uh, you know, some of the things that you're doing that might be also ap applicable to things that they might be able to do or maybe already are doing. Sure. So, Brian, why don't you start us off with that? Well, when this all went down, uh, Oregon was pretty quick to respond. Uh, the governor of Oregon had the stay-at-home law non-essentials had to shut down and I'm a fighter and I've been, I've worked too hard <laughs> to, to, I, I don't quit, you know? Uh, so I just instantly was like, okay, I'm going to go from 90% dine-in restaurant to hundred percent to go and save all of the, the jobs for my employees and keep their health benefits because we pay for their, their health benefits hundred percent. I just started thinking, uh, and luckily, you know, from experience of being around in the, biz the business for so long, 35 years, um, I just intrinsically had this gut feeling of how to, now all of a sudden I need, instead of six cases of pizza boxes a week, I need 25. So I was on the horn immediately calling people to get the supply chains going. Also, um, letting my, my purveyors and producers know that not only do I, do I expect to be using not only the same amount, I might be using more. So it's the communication. I was getting, I was getting uh, calls from like Tom Cortapasi called me saying how I was doing, you know, and Grande Cheese called me. Tom, and like, Tom, is the, Tom is the owner of Stanislaus Tomatoes, right? And we use, we use this olive oil as well, the Porto olive oil. Uh-huh which is uh, also part of the, their program. And I was like, please make sure it make sure that I'm going to not get shorted. This is what I'm predicting. It, it was a lot of, a lot of it was communication. I spent a lot of time on the phone. Um, I making sure that I could keep everything flowing. And then also we had to quickly adapt. Servers are no longer serving tables. So, but how can I hold their job and utilize them with the systems of doing, you know, everything to go now. 
because we didn't do a lot together before. So it was creating new roles and creating, failing a little bit on systems. And, and, and luckily, a lot of, God, I love my employees, they, they came in with ideas too. You know, we had ideas that worked out from the get-go, but they also identified, they were identifying better ways to run the systems um, so it would be a nice clean flow. And so we kind of rearranged the kitchen a little bit and, and uh, ordered some products to help facilitate that and make that just uh, as, as easy as possible. Now after, what, five weeks, we pretty much have this down to a science. And we're... So you've not only learned how to listen to your dough, but you're listening to your employees as well, which sounds yeah. like and one of the key... You have to listen to the business. Like, you can't force a, a square peg in a round hole. It, it tells you what it wants. You have to listen. You have to identify. You can't, you can't just like stand still and put that stake in the ground. You have to adapt and, and, and observe. And, and at the same time. So can you briefly tell us, uh, give us a sense of what the model is now? How is it, how is it that you do do business today? What's, is it, what's, what's the system? So we got rid of all the delivery systems because they turned, we used to have throttles through, we used caviar. Um, we used to use caviar as a, as a delivery system and we used to have throttles. They can only order so many pizzas and we would have to accept and all this other stuff um, for the customer. They would get a notification. They've accepted your order. It'll be ready in this period of time. Well, they took all that off and it was the most chaotic night I've ever seen in my entire life. And more importantly, it was also becoming this is for me, food should be something where you're interacting with people, right? It's, it's, it's all the online ordering and all that stuff was like starting to take the human element out of it. So what used to be a server, I'm like, okay, so you're going to man the hours, uh, the phone, start taking orders an hour before we start making pizzas. So now we start, uh, answering the phones at 3 PM. And on like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we stop answering the phones and take it off the hook with an outgoing message that we're done for the night um, at around 5 p.m. So in a two-hour window, I can sell basically all the products that we, we made for the day. And um, yeah, it's just like little things like that of the, the system of how to flow. What used to when one person just runs uh, the food from the kitchen to the front. One person just deals with the credit card payments and sanitizing all of the pens and the credit cards and the, the services that people are, are um, exposed. Well, luckily, like one side of my restaurant, I have two sides of my restaurant. One side is about 1,400 square feet. We'd never have more than four people in here waiting at a time. Um, so there's plenty of space for everybody to have the social distancing and while they're waiting for their pizza. But kind of coming full circle on this, the communication of answering the phone, talking to the people. We haven't limited our menu. They can still do half and half and build their own and all the other great stuff. But we have that line of communication, not only the, the connectivity with the customer and communicating, but also the communication between what's going on with the kitchen so we can actually give them a seriously accurate window when their food's going to be ready. So a lot of people come in here and they're only here like maybe three or four minutes. Their pizza comes right out of the oven and then they're gone. You know, it's, uh, and also being aggressive. Like one thing we did initially was we took all of our, we used to do a lot of beer and wine sales in-house. So we 
made it so basically it was like maybe the same price or a little more expensive than going to the grocery store to get a bottle of wine or uh, some beers or whatever. We just slashed the pricing on that. So not only were we sitting on inventory, but we're continuing to move inventory, making a slight profit, and also keeping the supply chain, the producers of that product, the delivery drivers, the representatives, uh, but keeping the, the wheels turning and giving a value add to our customers. Basically, you're open for just a few hours a night. You give people a time, essentially a window when they should arrive to pick it up. Do they, they can come in and get it or they stand outside and it's brought out to them or what? Well, when it's raining, like today it's raining here in Portland. We have a 1,400 square foot space. All the booths are six feet apart. So we put markers all on the floor of where, you know, the six feet dif- distance rules are. We, we uh, did a... <clears throat> figured out how many pizzas we can make in a 15 minute window. So the first, we asked people, when would you like your pizza? Do you, you want it between four and 415, 415, 430, 440, uh, 430, uh, 435. How many pizzas? <clears throat> we have a clipboard where the person answering the phone, when they get pizzas in that time slot, they start marking it down. When the time slot's full, they cross it off. No more pizzas in that time slot. And uh-huh. we always tell people about five minutes later, than we realistically think it's going to be. So that way they're not sitting around waiting. And uh, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's been a really good, um, good system. Because huh? not, they're not in here for very long. A lot of times, I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone walks in the door, what's your name? Uh, Jeremy M. And then the expediter comes out of the kitchen, Jeremy M. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Just, they chew it out of the oven and it's like, here you go. Bye. <laughs> Uh, well, it sounds like I'm going to be, before we run out of time, I want to give John a chance to talk about how they're doing it too. But it sounds like so far you've been working out a system that's allowing you to keep, keep up. You're making as many pizzas as you were making when you were doing the dine-in business. It sounds like. Making more. Making more. Because with the, with also just before we'd like to go cover to John with dine-in, you have like these ebbs and flows. People camp at tables. You can't predict what the next wave is going to be. Now, with everything being kind of blocked out, the kitchen is going nonstop. They don't have a, they don't have a lull. It's like, go. And yeah, yeah. so we're actually making about 20% more food than we were before all this. Well, this is amazing. And but next time we come back on, a, on, a, you know, on our next episode of Pizza Talk, uh, we want to talk a little bit about how all the learning that you're getting from this round is going to affect what happens when you kind of reopen in the new normal. Uh, and because you, know, you may have a totally different business by then. Um, oh, yeah. Whenever that is. Like How about you, John? Similar kind of learning curve for you? Whatever Brian just said. <laughs> Pretty much the same. Are you doing the same thing with a, a big a big walk-up business now? We are, but for, actually, uh, for us, it was actually probably a little easier transition because we started out as a, as a mom-and-pop New York-style pizzeria where 90% of your business was takeout anyway. Right. So we over the years uh-huh. we had we had transitioned to maybe eighty percent dine in twenty percent takeout, but it was kind of in our DNA to be able to do to be able to do takeout, and we also most of our customers were not only dine in customers but had already been takeout customers as well. So that transition was just okay. Now we're doing one hundred percent takeout, so we already kind of knew how to do that, and you know I, you know it was. Every night now is more t- more like a Super Bowl Sunday, where it's mm-hmm. all takeout. Mm-hmm. 
it's all in a very concentrated area. As, as Brian said, you know, he has a perfect solution to it. You have time slots. I can do X amount of pizzas in this 15 minute time, 15 minute window. And my order takers are trained to know you don't try to squeeze three times as many pizzas into that 15 minutes as we can actually handle. So, you know, as long as you're organized, every one of my managers was kind of freaked out at the beginning. And now they're like, let's just do takeout from now on. This is easy. And they're like, yeah. What do we do with the 200 seat restaurant that we have? You know, but, you know, we're this doing it. Like one of the big questions. You know, a typical Friday or Saturday night now, we're doing as much business as we ever did. And, uh, you know, some of the weeknights we're doing more business than we usually do. Than we usually do. And um, it's easier because we know everything's going in a package. Everything's going in a box. Juggling well, this delivery. Is very, very hopeful. Yeah, very juggling hopeful dining. Both of you. What's that? Juggling dine-in okay. and carry-out and coordinating that is a challenge on the kitchen. Just doing straight takeout where everything's going in a box or a bag, everything's going in a container, their lives are way easier now. Yep. You know, we're doing well, basically... We're explore this further in, in, in the next, you know, future episodes. And I want to tell the people who are watching this because this is our very first launch of Pizza Talk uh, and, and our first kind of go-round with our Pizza Yodis. And I want to I tell you, we want to keep this going, but we want to include the viewers in the conversation. So what we're going to do in the future is uh, today was just simply the, the three of us Zooming together. Uh, but in the future, we're going to also live stream it and we're going to open it up for people to sign in and be part of the, 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 the taping or the recording of this session so that they can ask questions in real time. So we're going to continue to dive deeper and deeper into this uh, as we as we go further and and take pizza talk, you know, into new territories that we don't even know where it's going to go. We want to see where it's going to go. Today was a chance to, to uh, kind of get the ball rolling and to, uh, you know, just start the flow. And uh, hopefully this will be a, uh, either a weekly or biweekly gathering uh, of our pizza community to, to join in the conversation. And we'll add some new features. We have other people that are going to be um, uh, guest uh, drop-in uh, performing. We've got the man on the street things and we've got quizzes and all sorts of other stuff that we want to add to this. But for today, we really want to start this with our, with our, our, our pizza masters, our Yodis. Uh, and, uh, and one thing I love from today has been that uh, you're talking about already thinking about the, the, the Yodas of the future and, uh, and, and grooming them for the next round. And uh, all those are, are really what Pizza Quest has always been about from the beginning and why you guys are such an important part of it. So let me just uh, uh, thank you both. Uh, at this point, that's a fi final goodbyes to each of you. So uh, John, thank you again for, for being part of this. And um, uh, Brian, also, uh, we've been talking about doing this. We've, you know, we usually only get to do it once or twice a year at the Pizza Expos, and now we're gonna get to do it on a regular basis. So uh, it's been great to be with you. And uh, uh, this is Peter Reinhardt, inviting all of you who are watching us to come back to see Pizza Talk as we keep growing this, uh, be, be a part of the Pizza Talk presented by Pizza Quest with our Pizza Yodis. Who knows? We're going to keep changing the name even as we go along. But thanks for joining us. Brian, John, thank you both. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, 
heritageradionetwork.org and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.